likes going to the grocery store. You have to pick up the car, head to the store, shop amongst the covid masses, stand in line for hours at checkout, then drive all the way back home only to have to lug your groceries into the house. Well, what if you were able to get all your groceries delivered right to your door with savings up to 50% off of the big guys? Brian, your Thrive Market order has arrived. Thrive Market is one of the top grocery store alternatives on the market featuring hundreds of products for specific diets and lifestyles. So, you eating paleo or Whole30 or you living that keto life? Perhaps you have celiacs like yours truly and you want some gluten-free options that actually taste good. Side note, Thrive literally has one of the best gluten-free pizza crusts I've ever had. Literally have it every single week. And here's what's even better. Not only do all orders over $49 get free shipping, but members of the Brian Nichols Show audience get 20% off their first order. Plus, get one month of their Thrive membership for free. So head over to the show notes and click the link for your exclusive Thrive Market offer and start skipping the grocery store today. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Well, happy Wednesday there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for joining us, yes, for another fun-filled episode of the program. And today, we are joined talking about school choice. Corey DeAngelis from The Reason Foundation is joining the program today, and we are digging into, yes, the value of school choice. How are we able to help solve the problems that real families are currently facing in an era of COVID-19 lockdowns with public sector teacher unions pretty much keeping entire school districts and consequently their entire families completely on hold. So what's the option? What can families do? Well, Corey argues school choice, focusing on education savings accounts, letting the money follow the students, fund students, not institutions. That is the argument that Corey DeAngelis is making. So without further ado, on to the show, Corey DeAngelis here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Corey, thank you for joining The Brian Nichols Show. You're doing the Lord's work, my friend. You're fighting the good fight. And I think this is where we're going to find, we're going to change a lot of uh, the culture going forward because you're, you're focusing on education, right? Where our kids are starting off what they are learning in school or what they're not learning in school and what you're doing over at the Reason Foundation and the uh, focusing on that of school choice. I think that is a conversation, especially in the era of COVID-19 lockdowns with schools still not opening. Parents are starting to open their ears too. So Corey, what's been the feedback in an era of COVID school choice? Well, I mean, COVID didn't break the public school system. It was already broken. COVID simply illuminated the main problem in the K through 12 public school system, which is a massive power imbalance that exists between the system and individual families. And it's been made more clear than ever this year. Uh, in, in, in the past, school choice is always a good idea because it's, you know, it's one thing for your schools to fail to educate your children year after year. It's another conversation altogether for those schools to get your children's education dollars regardless of whether they even open their doors for business. And I mean, just look at what we've seen from the private sector this year. The private schools have been fighting to reopen in person, they or they've been fighting against governments in places like Kentucky. They took the fight all the way up to the Supreme Court 
for the right to open their schools for their customers where so many teachers unions, you see what's going on in Chicago and Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. over the past few months. They've been fighting for the opposite. They've been fighting to keep their doors closed. And it's not because that the public sector employees are evil or that they have um, or that they're incompetent or that they have bad motives at all. It's just that the difference is one of incentives that they get your money regardless of whether they open their doors for business. And look, I think the teachers unions have really overplayed their hands here. I think that uh, the teachers unions in the last year have done more to advance school choice than anyone could have ever imagined. And now you have families mobilized around this idea of having the, the funding follow the child to wherever they're getting an education. Yep. Uh, your uh, line that you do, fund students, not institutions. I've been going, so I live here in Philadelphia, and we're seeing this firsthand right now before our eyes. <laughs> students still not back to school. Teachers not letting them go back to school. And every comment I do for a Facebook uh, post about Philadelphia schools, all I'd say is fund students, not institutions. Corey, I would not believe the number of folks who start to say, what's that? And all I do, I link them to you. I link them to school choice. I, I say, start here. And, and one of the things we do at my show and we've been really focusing on has been how do we sell value, right? So I think let's start here. The value that we're selling to, to families, you, you touched on it to start off, right? We're seeing schools still shut down. Um, parents just looking for anything, private schools saying, let us open public school saying, nah, we're good. So let's sell the value to parents. Let's start here. What's the value yeah. of school choice in terms of having some real options in the marketplace? Well, it, gives, it puts you in the driver's seat. It allows you to choose the best educational option for your individual child. And that could be the public school. If that is the best option for you, if their crappy version of remote learning in your district is good for your children, then you can still choose that. You can have that opportunity. Or if your public school opens in person, you can still have that too. Um, But at the same time, if that doesn't work for whatever reason, you should be able to take your children's education dollars to another provider. That could be a private school. That could be a micro school or a pandemic pod where families are banding together, five to 10 students together in a household to kind of economize on the process of homeschooling. It could be special needs therapies that you need to pay for your your student with special needs. It could be uh, just the covering the cost of instructional materials or testing materials for home-based education. So it's really having the money follow the child to wherever they're getting an education. And look, families have the best set of incentives and information available to them to make these decisions for their own children, particularly when you look at the alternative, which is a bureaucrat sitting in an office hundreds of miles away who don't even, they don't even know if, if you have children or if you do, they don't even know that they might not even know their names and and much less their individual needs and educational needs. So this is the best way to describe this in, in the policy world is something called an education savings account. A portion of the funding that would have went to your public school for your children's education would follow your child to an education savings account, which could then be used to pay for any approved educational expenditure. And I listed some of those earlier. And it really takes us from school choice to education choice, because before we were talking about things like school vouchers that could right. only be used at private schools, but with education choice or education savings accounts, that money can be used for any approved education expenditure. And that might not be in a formal school building. Right. Oh, I mean, goodness, I'll be sitting down. 
the Super Bowl. I'm sitting downstairs watching the Super Bowl and I see ads for Brainly and it's it's an app for for parents and kids who have no idea what the heck they're learning and how to actually talk about this stuff and teach it in a way that the kids can understand. And I I mean, I would ask, Corey, I mean, do you think that the advent of just a lot of these technologies is even further going to push a lot of these public schools into just kind of having to make these very tough decisions just because it's the inevitable? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably if there's a lot of families that want to continue with remote learning for whatever reason in the future, um, that requires fewer uh, staff at the schools, so they might have to downsize. And, and let's face it, private providers of virtual education can do so at a much lower cost. I mean, you look at things like Khan Academy, it's essentially free and yeah. other providers of, so like, so like the, the reason that so, so much money has been poured into the taxpayer funded system of K through 12 education is that part of the deal was that you get these in-person childcare services. We spend, for example, in the U S on average, they spend more in Philly, but on average, they spend about $15,424 per child per year. We spend a ton of money that's increased by 280% after adjusting for inflation since 1960. It's doubled in real terms since about 1990 or 1980. And it's increased every single decade in real terms. And we pour more and more money to the system. It doesn't go towards the classroom. It goes towards administrative bloat and staffing surges, which is good for teachers' unions because they maximize their political power and numbers, and they maximize their union dues that they have more people in the system. But that's not good for individual teachers. It's not good for individual families since the money's not going towards the classroom as much. And so if it, if this happens to where people start to prefer more remote instruction, which could be the case, um, there's not going to be a strong of an argument to, to yep. pour $15,000 per child per year. In D.C., where I live, they, they spend over $31,000 per child per year in the public school system. And they've just started to reopen some of the schools in person here. And, and if you because get one of the day, fight. right, once a day or one one day <laughs> oh, a week yeah. for at least a few hours, that counts. It's it's wild. That's open schools. That's that's according to the press secretary. Joe Biden's press secretary just said yesterday, um, open schools, we define that as at least one day a week, you know, for, for 51% of the schools. So that's what we're going to do in the first 100 days. That's what we mean by opening schools. Wow, what a really nice high threshold they're setting there for themselves, eh? <laughs> well, and, and in addition, we're pouring billions of additional federal funding into the K-12 public school system. We've already uh, added $13.2 billion to K-12 public education uh, through the CARES Act. We've already allocated at least $50 billion to K-12 public schools through the, the second stimulus bill. And then the most recent one, uh, Biden's talking about $130 billion more for K-12 public schools, not students, these institutions. Yep. And then the Senate just had a vote to make that contingent, that funding that is supposed to be for to, meant for opening up the schools contingent. There was an amendment introduced to make it contingent upon the schools actually opening in person. Uh, given the fact that if if those schools had all the teachers vaccinated, which isn't really a requirement, if you look at the data from the CDC and statements from the CDC director, right. it's not a requirement. But even then, the Congress voted not to pass the amendment. So they're going to pour all these additional dollars into these schools with no guarantee that they're even going to open the doors. It's wild, Corey. I, like, this is the part that drives me nuts, is that we can sit here, and I think across the board, we're saying this, nobody listening is going to say, 
Well, that sounds like a great idea. Like, regardless of what side, if you want, you know, if you're on the, the teacher sides, which it shouldn't be a be on people's side, right? Because one mm-hmm. of the, the points you made, and I think, you know, if we're going back to kind of mindset of, of selling this, right? You, you mentioned the teachers and you said, this isn't good for the teachers either. And nope. you, I forget what podcast you were on recently, but you made this point and you were saying how actually going this route of school choice, not only does it help increase the level of education? Because now that the teachers have to compete in terms of the educational standards, but also those teachers that are the good teachers, they're better off. Now they're actually getting compensated for being that good teacher. They don't have to be the teacher who they work their ass off, you know, every single day and they're just scraping by because they're not tenured yet or they're not in the the, the rankings yet of the hierarchy per whatever the salary is going to be based on them being, you know, what, 10, 15 years down the road. So it does help incentivize those good teachers teachers to be good teachers. Yeah, competition in the market for goods and services is good for consumers, families and their children, but competition in the labor market is good for employees because it yeah. pressures their employers to spend money wisely to attract talent. And there are tw- there are five studies that I've seen on this topic which is really interesting that look at the effects of either charter school competition or private school choice competition on the salaries of the teachers in the public schools. And all five of these studies find evidence to suggest that school choice competition leads to higher salaries for public school teachers. Why is that? Well, if you look over time between 1992 and 2014 in the United States, we've increased per pupil education expenditures in real terms after adjusting for inflation by 27%. But at the same time, real teacher salaries Nowhere near that. They've actually decreased by 2% in real terms. So we're throwing more and more money into the system. It's not making its way to the teachers. So when I hear teachers say things like like complaints about digging into their pockets to pay for school supplies, I actually do feel kind of bad for them because they're right. We are putting more money into the system. They're not seeing any of it. But the problem isn't their competition. The problem is their employer having no incentive whatsoever to allocate those dollars to them, particularly when you start to think about things like the incentives of the teachers union bosses. They want to just put more people and administrators into the buildings, which maximizes union dues and number of people in the union, which allows for a larger voting block which allows for more political power. But that means that the teachers unions remain stagnant or even decrease in some cases, even though we're putting more and more money into the system. So when you give the money to the families instead of the system, obviously that's good for the families, but it's also good for the teachers too. And I have an article in the Washington Examiner on this where I summarize this evidence called school choice benefits teachers too. There's a related strand of evidence on the competitive effects of school choice. What happens in the public schools for the students and their outcomes when that public school has a nearby school choice program or charter school? 28 studies on this subject of private school choice in particular, finding that 28 of these 20, 26 of these 28 studies find statistically significant positive effects of private school choice competition on student outcomes in nearby public schools. So school choice competition is a rising tide that lifts all boats. This evidence is one of the clearest results in the school choice literature. No one can argue with this because so many of the studies that exist are positive. That's a ninety-three percent success rate increase. That's, wow! In in those studies, I mean, I'm sorry, ninety-three percent accuracy in those studies. That's insane. That's that's such a level of correlation. 
Yeah, but you hear you hear things like, oh, well, this is going to be bad for kids in the public schools. Well, no, because one, the public schools get to keep a lot of the money for students who no longer use the programs. For example, in Iowa, there's a bill uh, being introduced, an education savings account to fund the student directly. And the students would be able to take about $5,200 to a private school of their choosing or a, another type of education provider. And that's a, about the average private school tuition in Iowa. But in the public schools, they spend about $15,000 per child. So the public schools mathematically get to keep a lot of the funding even after students leave. So on a per pupil basis, they end up with more funding per child left behind. And so they have more money to cover the cost of the children who are there. They have a stronger competitive pressure to, to do the right thing for those children who are there. And, and if you look at the evidence on this, it's pretty clear that competition leads to better outcomes in these schools. And I mean, just think about it. It doesn't really make sense, but this is how politics work. But if, you, if I were to leave Walmart and start shopping at Trader Joe's and Walmart got to keep 50% of my grocery bill each week, they'd be happy about that. And I argue that the public schools should simply be happy that they get to keep any money at all for students they're no longer educating. The private schools don't get to do that. They don't get to keep your tuition payments even after you leave to another school. Charter schools don't get to do that. They uh, lose that funding associated with the child. Um, and, you know, the, the public school system will say, oh, well, we have fixed costs, but all schools have fixed costs. Right. All schools have to keep the lights on. All businesses have, have fixed costs. That doesn't mean that they, that they are entitled to your children's education dollars, regardless of whether you show up. Private schools don't get to keep your children's education dollars. Walmart doesn't get to keep your grocery funding after you leave. Uh, the reality, though, is that the public schools, in in fact, do get to keep a lot of the funding for students who are no longer there, even when you have school choice in, in, in play. So this is really a win, 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 win situation, unless you're looking at the desires of the monopoly to keep all students whatsoever. So Michael Scott would love that. A win, 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 win scenario. <laughs> I love it. No win loses. No win, win loses. We're engaging in the win, 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 win. Um, so Corey, obviously we, we've heard a great, I mean, reason why, many reasons why for both teachers, for the students, obviously for the families. So let's now talk semantics. How, how can families start off here actually engaging in school choice? How can they start to take advantage of school choice where they live? Yeah, well, if it, it depends on if your state has school choice. So if you look at EdChoice, for example, it's a nice uh, a think tank that does a lot of uh, descriptive work and also research on school choice programs. They have a map called the School Choice in America Dashboard. If you just Google that, you'll find it and you'll see if your state has a particular school choice program in play. And I will say there are charter schools in most states right now. Charter schools are available and I, I want to say at least 45 states right now and the District of Columbia. But as far as private school choice programs, you know, having the money follow the child to a private school, um, only about half of states have some type of program for that and the District of Columbia. And a lot of them have certain limitations on, on what, what, how, how to be eligible for the pro program. They're typically limited based on income or special needs status of the student. But I am optimistic for parents to start looking towards these additional bills that have been filed this year in at least 21 states now. If you look at the Educational Freedom Institute website, it's efinstitute.org, we have a map there that tracks active legislation to fund students instead of systems. Most of these are education savings accounts bills. And look, the 21 states have introduced these. 
And uh, we list the bill, we list where it is in the process, and you can click on the bill to look at the, the full text if you want. And you can also contact your legislators to tell them what you think about these particular bills. In some states, they're pretty expansive. In New Hampshire, live for your die state, the proposal would be essentially for all of the students in the state. It's uh, one of the more expansive programs. It's the one that has the monopoly really shaking in its boots. And it looks like it might have a shot this year because of the legislative makeup in New Hampshire. They're called, they actually call them not education savings accounts. They're calling them education freedom accounts, education freedom accounts. And then also one just, a bill just dropped today in, in, in uh, West Virginia. Similarly, it would be available to at least 90% of the school age population. Pretty big, pretty uh, bold. And these are the, the things that I think people should be looking towards. And look, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I am more energetic about school choice like most people are this year more than ever because families have seen that they're getting a bad deal when it comes to K-12 public education. They've been getting the short end of the stick for a very long time here, but this year in particular, the power imbalance between systems and families has been made clearer than ever. I think families are saying, look, if my grocery store doesn't reopen, I should be able to take, I can take my money elsewhere. I can go to Trader Joe's if the Walmart decides not to reopen for whatever reason. Similarly, if my school doesn't reopen, why should I not be able to take my children's education dollars elsewhere? After all, the money isn't meant for propping up and protecting a government institution. It's supposed to be meant for educating the child. It should follow them to wherever they're getting an education. If you look at polling from Real Clear Opinion Research and EdChoice, we've seen upticks, large surges in support for school choice over the last year, no matter what type of school choice you're looking at. So families are mobilized. We're seeing this anecdotally, but then with nationwide surveys as well. And it really has me fired up. And I think it's because the public school system just hasn't been there for so many families this this year. And this doesn't mean that all public school systems have been underperforming, but in so many cases, there have been millions of families across the, the nation right now that are just frustrated and have been scrambling, uh, searching for options in the past year. Oh yeah, uh, especially in places where the, the teachers union is just kicking the can down the road and moving the goalpost out of the stadium. In some places, like in Fairfax County Public Schools in my area, the teachers union president actually said that they would oppose uh, reopening schools full time in person even after. All teachers were vaccinated. What? They would still oppose it. Why? 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 Because it's not based on the science, Brian. It's not about the science. It never has been about the science. We've seen places like Sweden that have had in-person instruction for, and they've been fine over, over the past year. We've seen data from Brown University, the CDC, UNICEF, looking at data from 191 different countries, finding no consistent link between reopening schools and overall community transmission of the virus. You look at New York City, even have Cuomo and and um, and Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, even saying, we're not seeing spread in the schools. And if you look at the data on their government website, the spread in the schools is about a 20th of the, the positivity rate in the schools is about a 20th of the positivity rate in the overall community. That positivity rate is about 0.5% in the schools and about 9% in the overall community. So schools aren't super spreaders. They're not major contributors of the virus. The science is pretty clear on this. Um, science has never settled, but it is pretty clear on this particular question, uh, given, given the amount of data that have 
come out. Anthony Fauci has said that we should close the bars and open the schools. Um, we there it, it is pretty clear that we can do this. And look, I mean, this is about power and politics, Brian. It's not so much about the science. And again, that doesn't mean that the other side or the teachers unions are evil. It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that there is a messed up set of incentives that's baked into the K through 12 public school system. And the only way we're ever going to fix that is to have the money follow the child so that we can introduce bottom-up accountability, the only form of true accountability, to make the public schools have a different set of incentives to do the right thing. So we should fund the students, not the systems, and and we'll have a win-win-win-win-win situation. I love it. See, we keep on coming back to the office, which I do do thoroughly love. But I do love, uh, Corey, one of the recurring themes I've been finding is just how certain episodes tend to connect. And it's funny, you mentioned New Hampshire, right? So I just had uh, Jeremy Coffin from the Free State Project on my show, and we were talking about the wins of the FSP, and one of the wins that we were touting from the FSP was exactly that, actually getting this option right now for, really, it's this um, education savings account, which I love that idea. It's funny, I had Dean Clancy on the show, uh, formerly from FreedomWorks, and uh, he's been doing a lot of uh, health savings accounts for all. Um, that's been his big push, uh, working a lot in, in, I think with Rand Paul right now, he's working with, um, trying to get health savings accounts for all. So I like that we're starting to see these ideas of marketplace solutions starting to rise up across the board. And to your point, as long as we get people more involved and and show them the value that this stuff is actually going to help solve the problem right now. And the problem is a lot of families have had their kids at home for over a year at this point. And it's it's kind of scary because you see no end in sight for a lot of these families and they're looking for some light at the end of the tunnel. So we've given them a roadmap right now. And Corey, I, let's do this as we end the show. Let's point the folks on the program towards the future. What can we expect? What What's on the pathway here? You know, what do you see for some real tangible wins down the uh, the road for actually getting school choice into action? Well, it's not going to happen at the federal level, and a lot of libertarians would say maybe it shouldn't happen at the federal level anyway. Um, but look, the new administration is not friendly to school choice, but I'm still optimistic because we're seeing all these bills in states, which is where school choice matters the most. 92% of K-12 education funding comes from state and local sources. Only about 8% comes from federal sources. So who really cares all that much if we don't see a lot of movement at the federal level. We're seeing tons of movement at the state level. And in states that have a particular legislative makeup, this could be a reality in states like New Hampshire, in states like West Virginia and Iowa and Arizona. They've already passed one out of the Senate. It needs to go to the House now. Iowa has already passed one out of their full Senate. It needs to go to the House now. New Hampshire has a hearing on their bill tomorrow, I want to say. Um, and they'll, they'll probably vote on it soon. And I, I have a good feeling it's going to get out of committee and go to the full house soon. And hopefully it'll pass as well if we want to expand educational freedom. But look, 2021 might be the year of school choice. And the interesting part here is it might be the teachers union's own doing. As I've said before, I think the teachers unions have done more to advance school choice than anyone could have ever imagined this year. And so maybe we should really thank them. They are the True heroes this year. <laughs> and how about this? We just went an entire podcast talking about school choice, and not once was the word libertarian used at all. And I think this is important for a lot of folks in the liberty movement to, to realize is that we can talk about this stuff 
when it impacts real people by talking about how it will impact said real people. And if we can talk about that and talk about how these ideas are not just ideas, they're actually solutions that'll solve real problems. My goodness, Corey, we're going to make some really good changes, some real positive changes, uh, not only in advancing that of liberty, but overall just advancing people's lives. So thank you for all the work you're doing. Um, obviously, I want folks to be able to go ahead and support you and all the work you're doing. So where can folks go ahead and follow you online and keep up to date with all you're doing to help promote school choice? Yeah, follow me on Twitter. It's just at DeAngelis Corey, my last name, my first name. And if you want to look at my longer form articles, you can just type in my name. You can just type in my first name, Corey, and then Reason Foundation on Google, and it'll it'll pop up. Corey DeAngelis, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much, Brian. Get ready to start your new morning ritual with our new sponsor, Mudwater. Coffee is one of America's favorite beverages, with more and more people starting their coffee habits every day with a cup of that flavorful anxiety juice. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Millions of people complain about the jitters that come from coffee consumption. Our morning coffee rituals can be habit-forming and, for some people, can make getting a good night's sleep almost impossible. And while nearly all of us like the smell, taste, and ritual of our morning coffee, why not explore eliminating the negative aspects of our morning brew? Well, what if your coffee replacement helped induce alertness, not dependency, improve mental capacity and function, improve physical stamina and performance, improve immunity and overall health. Oh, and by the way, it tastes good enough to drink every single day. Meet Mudwater. Mudwater is your fastest growing coffee alternative in the market, consisting of organic ingredients lauded by cultures both old and young for their health and performance benefits. With one-seventh the caffeine of coffee, Mud gives you the natural energy and focus you expect from coffee, but without the jitters and crash. With an organic blend of mushrooms and ingredients like cacao, marsala, chai, turmeric, lion's mane, and more, Mudwater offers a beverage like no other. Whether you want to enjoy it hot, cold, as a latte, or however you take your coffee in the morning, Mudwater is the zero sugar, zero crash, zero jitter alternative, sure to leave you feeling recharged and refocused. Listen, I'm really excited to have Mudwater as a sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show because I've been able to see the Mudwater difference for myself, and you can too, so click the link in the show notes to get some mud, support the show, and get your new morning ritual started right with Mudwater. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Corey DeAngelis. That's right. What an important conversation. I I seriously cannot stress this enough. We need to make sure that this episode blows up. So I'm going to ask you to do, because right now, and and here, before I even do the plugs, this is one of, and I'm going to say it right now, the top issues that people in the liberty, libertarian, conservatarian, whatever area you find yourself in, school choice, letting the dollars follow the students, this is going to be the conversation that people are going to be having going forward the next few years. This and lockdowns. That's it. And healthcare. Toss it in there as well. So if you are a candidate and you are looking to uh, start talking about these issues locally, school choice, talk to parents, talk about the impact of what's happened right now with their kids not being able to go to school, but also what the value would be of letting the dollars follow their kids, let the parents choose where the money goes. So I'm going to ask you to do me a solid. Five friends, go ahead, tag them. Friends, family, I don't care. Coworkers, tag them and make sure you tag me and Corey. Tag me at B Nichols Liberty. And I don't care if you do it Twitter, Facebook, minds.com, or <gasps> Parlor. Parlor's back, that's right. Tag me at B Nichols Liberty and tag Corey because this right now is how we are going to be able to win the future. If we have these conversations, if we show that our ideas not only are just these great ideas, but actually will solve people's problems. My goodness, folks, people are going to start to think, huh, these folks have more than just ideas. They have actual solutions to my problems that I'm experiencing in my life. So 
Again, tag five friends, family members, coworkers, teachers. Hey, if a teacher wants to get paid more, shouldn't they look at school choice? Go ahead and make sure you tag me at B Nichols Liberty. And also, folks, if you enjoyed today's episode, do me a solid. Go ahead, email me. Let me know. Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And if you have not yet had the chance to go and give us a five-star rating and review, head over to Apple Podcasts. And yes, I will go ahead and read said reviews on Friday. So make sure you get your reviews in between now and then. Otherwise, folks, coming up here on Friday, yes, we are joined by the uh, chair of the Libertarian Party. That is one Joe Bishop Henchman, and he's returning to the program to discuss less. And that is a focusing on local libertarians winning elections and a network of how we can get libertarians into office, but also what's working. So uh, Joe Bishop Henshin joins the show to discuss all that and more. So folks, you have so much to look forward to as we head into Friday and into next week. Oh my goodness, another fantastic week ahead for you. So what you need to do, hit that subscribe button. Do not miss a single episode. But that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Corey DeAngelis. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.